0: Uh, yeah.
1: uh-huh. 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 Yeah. I need a spice girl, Yo. ziggy ziggy, I fuck up my whole world, hey. Pause when she talk nothing like old girl, True. scary and sporty, yeah. tell her what I want, what I really really want is a Welcome to Impact, the podcast hosted by Teachers and Mom Your Business. Our next six episodes are powered by the Virtual Venture Cafe, Philadelphia. And I want to thank Tracy, Jen, and Natalie for having us. This month's theme is Catalysts, and we put together a dynamic panel of catalysts that are making a huge impact in the city of Philadelphia. So thank you for tuning in. Let's get to our show. Uh, our guests and our listeners as they begin to come in to impact the podcast presented to you by teachers and mom your business commercial free sponsored by the universe so this month focus is on the theme of catalyst the theme that uh, venture cafe is featuring this month so we want we were um, thinking about some some catalyst to, to identify and I think we did a pretty good job of that so a catalyst by definition is a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change or a person that precipitates an event so if you have any questions for our guests we want to ask you to just post your questions right into the chat group and um, while we're are where we are as as a country and as a world, me and Neff do this little drinking game. So uh, during our podcast, you are not allowed to say the word podcast. You are not allowed to say the word Corona. So if you do, Neff and I will be forced to keep the fun going of the, in memory of us not being at the Venture Cafe, we're going <laughs> to toast. <laughs>
2: so. Thank so, you. Tanya, it's crazy. Because I have this virtual background, you can't see. So, <laughs> corona, oh, oh. <laughs> or this week I'm doing Cider Boys. Yeah, so, so I, didn't know. I didn't <laughs> realize what the drill was here. I should
3: have, I should bring, I got some Philly whiskey. I just got the little yesterday.
1: Yeah, I actually have my angry orchid this time. So, that's always the, the debate. Is it a,
2: is it an orchid or is it Corona? So, here we go. Well, let's dig in. So everything today is driven by data. If we look at what the data is telling us, Jeff, we really wanna look to you first. Philadelphia wasn't in the best economic position going into COVID-19. The pandemic has hit the city and the highest proportion of adults living in poverty uh, are, are right here in our city. Luckily, the Economy League of the Greater Philadelphia area has analyzed data to produce a report that focuses on the most vulnerable segments of our economy. Jeff. Hornstein is with the Economy League. He's the executive director. Jeff, what is the data telling you?
3: So what i like to say, and, and thank you, Nefturia and, and Tanya, for, for asking to be on this show. I love Venture Cafe. It's so great to see my good friend, Tracy Bralla, out there.
1: Hi, um, Tracy.
3: So, um, so Philadelphia has been a very unequal place for a long time, Right. And what I like to say about this pandemic is that it really hasn't shown us anything new. It's just shined a very bright light on really existing inequities, right? Inequities in workforce, inequities in in the minority business landscape. So we've been putting out a series of data briefs every Wednesday at 4 p.m. We call them leading indicators. And uh, if you're interested, you should just go to our website and you can sign up, economyleague.org. Um, but every week we've been shining a light on a different aspect of the, of the inequity problem and trying to do some real-time analysis of what the likelihood that the crisis is gonna exacerbate existing inequity and inequality, right? Um, you know, we, I, I published an op-ed a couple of weeks ago about the way the PPP program it, it is, it is favoring larger non-minority businesses Um, the way in which African-American and Latino workers um, happen to be on the front lines. My, my former uh, life, I was a union organizer service employees, international union. So I I know a lot about sort of the way kind of black and Brown employees are out there um, doing the, doing the work on the front lines every day and also living in communities and with much less access to uh, quality healthcare for a whole bunch of, for reasons, you know, structure, I like to call them redlining, broadly, occupational redlining, residential redlining, it's all sorts of redlining that's gone on in society. And so our, my question is, like, what are we going to do as a society to turn this crisis into a transformative moment? Are we going to waste this crisis or are we going to leverage it to, to, to do some good? And that's really where all of, our, all of our data dives are pointing. What do we need to do? to get beyond this response phase, which is right in front of our noses right now, and that's where people are stuck, to the recovery phase, what sort of institutional reforms do we need to get to a resilient society? So we're talking about four R's, response, recovery, reform, resilience. Um, and that's where we need to be. And you know, we're about to release an op, a big piece uh, about the small business resilience that we need, right? Our small business community is getting crushed It is the, there are two paths to wealth in this society. One is by owning a home and the other is by owning a business. Unfortunately, we have a very low rate of minority business formation, a very low rate of minority business um, growth here. And so we're calling on our big institutions to step up to the plate um, to do a concerted strategy to steer their dollars towards local minority businesses so that they can grow, right? So there's like the data are just overwhelmingly showing us that inequity and inequality is a defining feature, not just of Philadelphia, but of our country. Um, and what are we going to do about it? Is the question.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, that's, thank you, Jeff, for sharing that because I think you hit on a couple of uh, really great things. Um, that there are two pathways to wealth specifically. And when I look at the business pathway right now, you used the the perfect word, which is is it's getting hammered um, right now. And and so when we talk about the resiliency of business, um, what are, and you mentioned some bigger institutions, what are some things that we can do um, ourselves to make an impact um, to help move these businesses out of being hammered, for, for lack of a better
3: term. So, so we're, we're calling upon, so to be fair, our anchor institutions have, have been the bedrock of the local economy, right? Penn, Drexel, Children's Hospital, Temple University, Thomas Jefferson, those are the big five, but a whole bunch of others too. City government, Comcast, Aramark, you know, and and the good news is that the Ed's and Med's institutions in particular are devoted and mission driven to um, spend their money in ways that help local community, right? They could do more. Part of our challenge in this in this ecosystem is that we have a very weak philanthropic sector that doesn't support this kind of work. If we were in Chicago or Detroit or Baltimore, foundations would be throwing money at this problem. Mm-hmm. They're not here, unfortunately. Um, city government's doing what it can do, but we need a, a real capacity building program for our minority businesses to get them to scale because there's a huge amount of institutional demand. And I was on the phone all afternoon with a, uh, a data consulting firm, a global one that does deep dives into institutional spending uh, data. And we're now trying to figure out how to stand up a more robust program. And we are lucky, we, we hired um, a woman named Janelle Lawrence to uh, used to be sub- head of supplier diversity for AstraZeneca to run our Philadelphia Anchors for Growth and Equity Program. Um, and, and you know, we're really trying to dive deep into anchor institution spend and figure out how to divert more of that money to local suppliers. But we also need the local suppliers to be able to grow. And that requires capital, it requires coaching, it re- requires commitment. So there's a whole bunch of things that we're calling on institutions to continue doing, but to bring new institutions and aggregate all that demand, and it's billions of dollars. I mean, it's five and a half billion dollars just from the Eds and Meds institutions, mm-hmm. and and Comcast. Comcast's annual procurement budget is fifteen billion dollars. Wow! You know, they're they're a global corporation, and they're only spending a piece of it in any one market. But they're, they're, and and to be clear, they're the best diversity spend organization on the planet. There's nobody better than Comcast, actually. Um, but wow. they, they don't they don't know how much they spend locally. So, but the cool thing is they're willing to engage in that, in that conversation now. So we had a great conversation with their head of supplier diversity last week. We're starting to get them to move. So we're really trying to figure out a plan, a strategy that's going to be, there's got a workforce piece to it. There is, a, a, there, and what's the impact of this pandemic on work, right? Are, are we going to have the same workforce in 2021 that we had in 2020, right? That's a great, a great question. What is our, you know, our economy rests on, as my friend Meryl Levitz used to say, eds, meds, and beds, right? What does our tourism and hospitality industry look like Mm -hmm. after this, right? Are we going to pack people in tables in tiny restaurants in Center City? I think of Porcini on Sansom Street, right, where the tables are four inches apart. We're now all used to being six feet apart. What does that do to a restaurant's ability to profit, Right? What does that do to the business model of Russians? There's so many questions that are unanswered. Um, so it's an interesting time to be in the think in the think business. Um, but we need to we need doing, not just thinking.
2: And it's great that you provide us not only with the usable information, but the data that comes out with your report. So thank you for that, Jeff. I want to bring Carlo into the conversation because for all of us, every day is a challenge. This past Tuesday, though, we all had something to be really excited about. Hundreds, if not thousands, of area residents stood outside of their homes and businesses to see the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds fly over the region. This was a joint military mission. It was a show of community solidarity. So throughout this pandemic, all military components have been engaged. Carlo Aragoncio, Executive Director of the City's Veterans Affairs Department, has his hands in everything that impacts the veteran community. Carlo, what, is, what has been the biggest challenge facing the veteran population during the pandemic?
0: Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, uh, Nefertari. Um, so let me uh, just start first. Uh, for the record, uh, it was not me or my office. I cannot take the credit for it. Uh, I did not coordinate the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds, <laughs> despite <laughs> people. People yeah, credit no, call, yeah. take credit. Take <laughs> credit. Uh, but but in all seriousness, um, so the, the question about what is uh, affecting veterans, what what is the biggest challenge that we see? And uh, Nefertari, I uh, you know, you and I have spoke uh, from time to time about uh, serving, continuing to serve in the Guard or Reserve. And um, I think the biggest thing is uh, awareness, uh, cultural awareness. Uh, I can't tell you how uh, often, uh, you know, ever since I've come back home from uh, my time in uh, Iraq, I spent from 16 to 17, uh, coming back home and finding myself in this job. um, I mean, it was a blessing. But, you know, a lot of people have already have a misconception or, or a preconceived notion about what it means to serve in the military, uh, you know, not everyone's on the front lines, uh, you know, each of us have our own different professions, uh, different skill sets, and specializations. And, you know, they all kind of just lump us into uh, the same categories, you know? Um, so when I came into the office, uh, back in 17, when I came home, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, directive. It was more, Hey, take care of veterans. Here's the key to the office and have a good day. And I was like, well, what do I do now? Uh, at the time, you know, I, day one, I didn't even know how to spell veterans. And, um, you yeah, know, I say that jokingly, but <laughs> the, 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 the problem was uh, no one really had their finger on the pulse as far as, you know, what veterans were doing, what they were affected by, whether they be issues or what were the exact needs. And, you know, finally being embedded in, uh, been in the position now about two and a half, almost three years, uh, was, I'm seeing it from a different light, seeing it from a different perspective. And it's not just the uh, you know the veterans who are uh, affected by what we know you know homelessness, uh, mental uh, issues, uh, physical issues, uh, you know going through the VA system, uh, things of that nature. Uh, what I'm starting to see is this: this we're, we're turning a corner um, on what can veterans contribute back to the community. And I, I'm through my work and, and working with community partners, uh, businesses, different organizations, departments throughout the city of Philadelphia. Uh, really trying to elevate uh, the, the profile of the veteran. You know, not every veteran is male. Not every veteran is, is you know, the same race, uh, you know, ethnic background, uh, et cetera. So, you know, for for me to constantly push and, and fight for that, uh, I'm not in it alone, and, and we're all in this together. And, and that's really the biggest thing is, is, you know, all different branches, all different backgrounds, uh, building that awareness around what it means to be in the military, what it means to be a veteran. And you said
2: 16, 17, you were in Iraq. 17, 18, I was in Kuwait and Qatar. And we don't necessarily wear our uniform every day. As a matter of fact, I'm sure you can relate to this, Carlo. Uh, Thank you for your service. People say it, but, but really what we're doing is our job. Right, So yep. it's, it's a little uncomfortable at times, uh, but I find that giving a veteran a secondary mission is really special and it allows for impact. Like you said, not every veteran needs services that are related to, uh, to uh, any type of combat trauma. Sometimes we can push veterans in a direction that is economically beneficial. So what yeah. are you hearing in terms of veterans being a part of the solution? In this
0: pandemic, uh, reached out to two different departments uh, through the city. Uh, working with Office of Emergency Management, and also working with uh, Department of Public Health. Uh, I'm sure you've seen that there's been a lot of uh, buzz around you know wanting to volunteer, wanting to support. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, through OEM, uh, there's been a lot of uh, veterans with different ties and connections to uh, PPE suppliers or manufacturers. Um, you know, I was just in the office. Uh, you know, thought, hey, this is going to be an easy gig. Uh, it, it is turning out not to be, not every day is easy. And at least me being in, in that office and, and being the face and, and helping out and, and representing the veteran population, uh, folks are able to, to say, hey, pinpoint, hey, go down to room 127, go down in their office, Carlos down there, or you can reach him online. And, uh, you know, the, the network is working. So the strategy is working in that they contacted me. Um, and, you know, I'm not working for OEM. I'm not working for the uh, Department of Public Health but I was able to pass the information along. And um, you know, it took us some time, but we ended up getting some uh, sample kits, uh, PPE, different N95 masks, KN95 masks, uh, body suits, protective gear. And they were able to test and validate that equipment. And I believe they're, uh, they're under the procurement uh, phase right now and actually purchased the, the uh, PPE. So that's, that's working. And uh, again, the, the veteran community stepped up in a major way. Um, you know, Also the uh, Medical Reserve Corps uh, I can't stress that enough. If you are a 68 whiskey, if you're a corpsman, you know, in the Navy, uh, you have medical experience, combat medical experience, uh, and you're able to do things like triage and, and you know, be able to take vitals, things of that nature. Uh, that set is invaluable, especially in, in, in these times. And if, um, you're still wanting to do that, I mean, definitely reach out, um, cause we can get you plugged in with those folks. Uh, but the other, other thing I, I wanted to mention too, was, um, Veterans are not only helping other veterans, which I know we, we tend to help each other out, uh, you know, the people to our left and people to our right, uh, but they're also helping the communities. I mean, there's organizations out there that exist and, and individuals who are, um, you know, connecting with, with our office and they're saying, hey, you know, do you know of any uh, people, veterans or not, uh, those who are elderly or those who may not have access to, uh, you know, food or supplies or hygiene products? Maybe they don't have, uh, you know, access to reliable transportation or, or don't have the means Uh, whether it be financial or just uh, access and uh, we're able to connect those dots and and help those people out where we can.
1: So Carla what are you seeing as it relates to entrepreneurship and veterans it's not you know um, I know that there are a couple you know programs that support veterans in that way but what are you seeing as far as entrepreneurship and the role that veterans um, can play in entrepreneurship in this climate?
0: Veterans are both generalists and specialists. I mean, specialists like myself, 25 alpha, going on 46 alpha, you know, from a uh, signal over to public affairs um, with, with that, when you have an MOS or an AOC area of concentration, um, you know, you, you, that's what you do. That's your process. That's, that's what you know. Uh, so we're, you know, being very process driven is one thing. Uh, but what, what they don't tell you is when you separate from the military, Again, there's no blueprint. There's no playbook. Right, like, hey, here's right, how you start right. a business. Here's right. how you apply for loans, right? Um, but why I say we're generalists is that we're able to take any any mission set that we have. You know, you might not have all the details. You might not might not know all the uh, the uh, mission priorities. There's a lot of things you have to infer or, or things that are implied. And what we're doing is in the military, those skill sets you learn, uh, you're you're building a framework. So you're building the scaffolding for what does this look like when you have problem you know, Z and you're starting at, you know, A, what, what, what am I doing? How, how do I solve that problem? And if anything, what I've seen in the veteran community, veteran entrepreneur uh, community, is that folks are able to, to problem solve almost on the fly and uh, maintain that resiliency as well. Thank you. So
2: I know, Jeff, you mentioned that. Comcast as an employer and a presence in the region uh, has a lot to contribute to the rebuilding or uh, to the restarting of the economy. I know they've also made a a pledge to hire X number of veterans by a certain year. So Carlo and Jeff, either one of you all can chime in. How can this military and veteran community work together with the restructuring? Are there any ideas around that? Are there not any opportunities that that we have here,
0: yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, so, I mean, I, again, I don't work for Comcast, uh, but I do know their their initiative. I work very closely with them, um, you know, slotting veterans in, getting them to interviews and, and things of that nature. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, I think the number is twenty one thousand by year twenty twenty one. I don't know that it's uh, still on that glide path. I'm, I'm sure they're uh, they're still in a hiring phase uh, to some degree uh, with everything going on. But what I mean by that is there's a, uh, a a unique opportunity that I had um, representing the office, representing the city of Philadelphia. I was able to work with the George W. Bush Institute uh, just last year and uh, presented to uh, George Bush and his uh, staff, President Bush and his staff, uh, about a um, model, a workforce development concept uh, specific to veterans in public service. So what I realized was, and I'm not gonna go into depth with everything here, is that you're able to take that model and apply it to reintegrating veterans who were previously incarcerated, uh, reintegrating uh, veterans, not only into public service positions, but also into private sector positions and uh, working closely with other cities also and other municipalities to to kick that off. Um, But that being said, uh, the whole concept is around taking these skill sets or taking what you've learned and and, uh, soft skills as well and be able to apply them into different situations, almost like the entrepreneurship that uh, we spoke about.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, if I can just pick up on that. I'm not familiar completely with Comcast's sort of HR strategies, but it sounds like a great program. I'm much more conversant on the procurement side of things, right? how they spend their money um, rather than who, who, they, who they hire necessarily. I mean, the economy think, has done a lot of work on the tech workforce in particular, um, and there's some really interesting things that we're going to need to be doing over the next five to ten years, to make sure that um, employer um, employer needs are aligned with with the way we, we do talent development, which has been a big problem in in the U.S. in general, as compared to other countries that have a much more integrated uh, approach to to asking employers what do you need and how do, how does the workforce development system provide exactly what employers need at the same time as not training people for just one job because I think one of the points that Carla made which is so important, one of the things I think you get out of military service is that you, you get a broad range of problem solving skills, let's say, right? And then you, you hone in on the thing that interests you or the thing that the, the team needs, so to speak, and you become a specialist, but you still have that broad set of problem-solving skills. And, and I think th- those are such useful skills for any employer, um, especially as we move forward, right? The, and again, I've, I've never been in the military, but I've studied a little bit about it, and, like, every mission is going to be different, yet people need to have to figure out how to do it, Right. And I think that's the same, same in business, the same in any complicated job. So it's, um, I, I applaud you for, for working on that. To me, one of the key things that this crisis is really illuminating also is supply chain risk. Right? It's, you mentioned how the veteran community has stepped up basically to fill a gap in our supply chain by coming up with, with uh, ad hoc ways of, of getting PPE. I mean, it's amazing to me that in 2020, the United States of America, supposedly the richest country in the world, we can't get masks to people, right? And I think this has highlighted some real weaknesses in our supply chain. Okay, Mm -hmm. yep. One of the things we're gonna be talking to the hospitals and universities about going forward is it may be cheaper to source your product from wherever, China or Vietnam or whatever, but at the end of the day, you wanna have some proportion of that product that's available to you locally, made by a local minority-owned business because it may cost you an extra couple pennies per unit, but when the supply chain breaks down like we've just seen, you're you're going to face a much more expensive proposition of trying to get it on the fly. Um, and and that that kind of value proposition argument is one that we're trying to make across the supply chain. Right? This are just to give an example. Every ounce of medical laundry of this city, right? We have 60 million pounds of medical laundry produced a year from all of our big hospitals. It gets exported a hundred miles to get washed. Cause we don't have a medically qualified laundry in the city of Philadelphia. That's so it's either going up to Bergen County. Well, it is unreal tiny, but it's also like an artifact of supply chain development, right? Yeah. Years ago we went to managed care hospitals were told you need to get every non-productive use of your, of your floor space out of the building and outsource this, 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 and this, right? So there are hospitals that have laundries that were in their basements that are, are outsourcing their laundry now because they just don't, they don't do that function on site anymore. So we've been trying to find a vendor who wants to build a plant in the city. It's not a cheap proposition of 10 to $15 million to build such a plant, but the, the, the audience is captive because has, hospitals actually hate this fact. They hate when it rains, when it snows, when there's a, a traffic pile up, when there's uh, some sort of weather event, when there's construction, they don't know if they're going to get their laundry and you really can't run a hospital without laundry. So there are all sorts of ways that we can sort of mobilize this purchasing power to, to, to build some business, you know, create businesses, create jobs, create wealth for veterans, for minorities, for women. Like there's a huge opportunity space here.
1: You know, Fred, you mentioned and I know that the supply chain is really at the heart of a lot of the work that the economy League does. I was looking at a tweet earlier today from um Jose Andres at uh Vegetables Unleashed and he posted a picture showing this stockpile of potatoes on one hand, and the lines to food banks on the other. Yeah, and crazy. he was really talking about the fact that the potatoes that were going on that were just sitting there because the supply chain is so broken that because there's no ballparks, there are no concerts, there are no places that are used to buying food, you know, man- and, and sending them to those places aren't available. Whereas the why isn't why is it that we have a supply chain that can't be diverted to the need where people have a greater need for food now because they're out of work. And it's just, you know, the supply chain being broken to me speaks to, again, the lack of manufacturing that we do in our
3: own country. Yeah. So 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 I just want to respond. Nathan Aponte just put a really good point up on the chat. Right. Uh, the access to capital uh-huh. the is access is to capital question. Yep. Absolutely. So yep. we're you know this this piece a that, big gap.
1: Yep. Yeah. This <laughs> this
3: piece that we're we're writing right now is part of it. We have three three basic solutions that we're offering, and one of them is creating an equity capital shop. Mm. So I would push back a little bit on mm. the idea of loans, right? Yeah. So minority businesses, the research shows, are swimming in debt, right? What minority businesses need, like. Majority firms, and this is my my mentor, Della Clark, said this very graphically when we were in Chicago at a big J.P. Morgan conference. She said, you know, a white kid in a hoodie can walk into a venture capital firm with some kind of uh, game some kind of app idea and leave and leave with a big, fat equity check or stake yep. in that company. That's someone taking their money saying, I believe in you, Nathan. I'm going to invest my – I'm going to become your partner in this business. I'm not going to lend you money and expect 4% back. I'm going to be your partner and expect a return. And if you fail, I fail, right? That's the difference. Yeah, right? that's, that's so, great. Yeah, so we don't have that equity shop right now. And, and so what Della said, which is really powerful, like Black Kid in a Hoodie walks into the same venture capital firm, he's going to either get arrested or get laughed at, right? So there's a big, big inequity there in terms of access to equity capital. And Della, to her credit, is trying to solve the problem. You know, J.P. Morgan asked us at the end of this conference, what we need in Philadelphia I said, Dallas said, $50 million for an equity fund. That's what we need. Mm -hmm. I think we need more than that. I think the next stimulus package coming out of Washington, someone posted this thing on Twitter once, what would your dream be if we had another $2 trillion? Say at least 500 billion devoted nationally to a minority-based equity fund. That's, That's how you solve problems. Not skirting around this edge, give the SBA $10 million here or $10 billion there. This is a massive problem. It's taken, you know, generations to get us into this into the situation, right? Like, yeah, so, um, if we want if we want to do reparations in a real way, let's let's do let's let's let's, let's talk a trillion dollars in equity for minority businesses.
1: I wanted to give Tracy you had posted a question in the chat. Tracy, you want to share your question?
4: So, Jeff, I thought your idea was really a great one about like kind of there's a specific need, which is we need to launder clothes right now in Philadelphia for our medical workers what are those other nuggets? So some sessions we've had at Venture Cafe, which I think have been really amazing, have been very much around experiential design. So are there nuggets that we can get the entrepreneurial power or the small business power in a room to hack? How can we hack getting, you know, solving what those, what those questions or, or problems are?
3: That's a great question, and I would love to be in front of that audience. I mean, my friend Bruce Crawley once said to me, you show me the demand, and I'll find you the, support, the entrepreneur to provide the supply. So I, my last call of the day was really talking to this data analytics firm that digs deep into institutional supply chain. And we, we we did one report in 2015 which showed what the addressable opportunities were. We haven't done a good enough job of finding the entrepreneurs, right? So there are huge numbers of you know with food information technology we can we can outline a whole bunch of verticals where there's a lot of money being spent i mean this is basic like e- import substitution economics right we have demand here from these large institutions we have a business community how do we connect those two things so we can build capacity on our in our local business community driven by this demand i mean the, the big success we've had is with msco scientific right msco through the work of University of Pennsylvania, aided by the Economy League, um, convinced Thermo Fisher, the world's largest lab supply company, to form a meaningful partner partnership with a minority-owned lab supply company. It's been around for 40 years, and it subsisted on federal contracts. Um, now they are true partners with Thermo Fisher. They're providing the frontline support for researchers at Penn. And once Penn signed on, then Jefferson signs on and Temple signs on and CHOP signs on. Everybody else wants, wants to get in on the game. Once the leader, the University of Pennsylvania often is, once, once Penn signs on, now EMSCO is poised for growth. They're building a new facility supported by PIADC in, in Parkside. In West Parkside, they're going to hire dozens, of more, dozens more people. Now they become an exporter. They're going to import dollars from elsewhere and export stuff. Um, so, so our wage taxes will be paid not by just recycling Philadelphia dollars, but by importing them from Princeton and other places where, where there's other research universities. So that's kind of the model. And, and it can be replicated across a variety of sectors. Um, there's a big vertical farming play about to happen in Philly. A couple of ver- big vertical farms are about to come online right? So we're talking to Aramark and Sodexo and Compass about, you know, broadening and deepening their supply chain to include these local products. We've had some success with a student-run food company called Rebel Ventures, which some, some of you may have heard of. Their, their Rebel Crumble is now in the airport and in every hospital in the city because of the work that we've been doing opening up supply chain. So there's a lot of these, but I would love to hack at the problem with a bunch of entrepreneurs. That seems like that would be an amazing, amazing, opportunity. So let's make that happen, Tracy.
1: Yes, make it happen, Tracy. <laughs> We're all in. We're yeah. in. in. Sounds like next next <laughs> month's podcast. Yeah. Yes. Reservoir. That's our that's our theme this month. So let's let's make it happen. Let's make well,
2: it happen. Jeff, there's a couple of things that you said was interesting, and I want to back up because you had talked about where to place the investment in a big way. And 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 Carlo could probably attest to this with the military. Everything is dependent on mission and commander's intent. Like the intent. Of what we're attempting to accomplish, and it sounds to me like that might be a good a good intention. But how do we get from where we are to equity, to equality, to balance without just throwing it totally off keel and the pendulum swings?
0: So the commander's intent. You know, for those who are not in the military, uh, commander's intent. Uh, there's there's varying degrees, right? And this is just my take on it. Uh, part of my philosophy. And whatever the commander's intent is, by the time you get it down to the company level and then down to the tactical level, um, you know, you only get a small snip of it. So you really don't see a whole lot of it. But what I what I started to realize was where I was uh, and then I also translated into what I'm doing now with the city. You know, where we're talking about platform and access. If if Joe Snuffy or Jane Snuffy, you know, uh, private in the military, doesn't have you know the right boots. And we're about to go into uh, you know out of the field during uh, January at Fort Dix in New Jersey uh, that's not going to set anyone up for success and if there are our, our only uh, person equipped to do XY and Z task then the entire mission fails because we forgot or did not uh, equip the, the person with the right equipment so you know when we're looking at uh, opportunities for entrepreneurs and within the community uh, we're, we're looking at uh you know any issue that I see is not an issue. Uh, I look at it as an opportunity, and that's just my mindset. I work with very closely is uh, J Dog. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They have big green trucks, some Humvees, and they are J Dog junk junk removal and hauling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Right? So you know it's 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 crazy because you know it's such an iconic. Uh, you know, you see the Humvee, you see the green. Oh, military through and through, right? Well, you know, speaking with the uh, uh, the founder and co founder. Uh, you know, Jerry uh, and, and Tracy, you know, they said he didn't know what he wanted to do when he got out of the military. You know, when he separated from military Jerry, he was like, Well, I Googled and I, I looked at the top ten things, uh, businesses, uh, startups, uh, that will make me the most money and, and you know make me, you know, financially secure. And I think number two or three on it was junk removal. I mean Mm. When I got in the military, I'm not thinking, "Hey, let me get into junk removal and clean out people's houses." But now they've moved on from you know residential now onto commercial. And I think have over like 200 sites throughout the U.S. So, I mean, don't don't look for the next you know great app. Uh, you know, if, if it doesn't need to be invented, I mean, if you want to start, start somewhere small, start at the start at the ground level. Let,
3: let me have, take that from the other side because when and I heard, and that, that's. I mean, that's a, those are, that's great advice. Like figure out where the, where the rubber meets the road. Um, when you, when I, when I, when you asked the question there for I thought I heard you asking about commanders intent from like a top line leadership level. And, and I have to say that this city has some great institutional leaders, right? We couldn't get much better than Madeline Bell um, You know, Craig Carnaroli and Amy Gottman at Penn, um, Steve Klassov. Steve Clasco at, at, at Jefferson. I mean, three great leaders that jumped to mind, John Fry at, at, at Drexel. I mean, they've done amazing work in response to this crisis, but they've been doing amazing work for 25 or 30 years. The question is how to scale it and how to add the rest of the private sector into the mix so that we create that, you know, I'm, I'm like the one, the one note singer here. It's like all about procurement right now, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I could I talk a lot about workforce as well, but the, um, how, how do we how do we get everyone aligned around a mission, right? And and that's part of you know our our Greater Philadelphia Leadership Exchange, of which uh, Tracy and uh, probably some others on this on this call or, or on this podcast. Sorry, I got a drink now. Our um, our um, veterans uh, or alums of. You know, we're going to use our leadership conference. This we were supposed to go to Detroit this October. We're not taking 150 leaders to Detroit. Instead, we're going to focus all that brain power, all that civic muscle, on our own, uh, on our on our own uh, society here in our own region. Um, but what we need to do is align everybody around a strategy, and that strategy is going to have a number of pillars. Workforce is going to be one of them. How do we get the one of the biggest problems we have in our regions, we have in our in our cities, we have. Well over one hundred and fifty thousand adults who have been marginalized from the workforce. It's a huge drag on uh, on productivity and growth here. And we've had a very sort of haphazard approach to to solving that problem. how do we How do we deal with the future of work? How do we deal with the fact that work is going to be changing? this crisis will only accelerate some of the changes towards automation and other things that are already, that are already happening, working with Sheila and the office of workforce development and others to kind of map out a strategy there. As I've said, you know, before a small business development strategy, minority business development strategy, like how do we, how do we get the right leaders aligned around these, these pillars of a strategy um, because the leadership leadership really matters.
1: Well, well, well. Thank you so much, Jeff and Carlo. That's, this has been a really, really great conversation. Um,
2: where can veteran-owned businesses or ideapreneurs that want to be a part of that conversation, where do they go? How do they become a part of this greater conversation uh, as, as it started?
4: I can jump in and say we're actually going to... Um start something. So um, Science Center runs the the Quorum Drop-In Lounge at 3675 Market Street. And in about a week, we're actually going to bring the drop-in lounge back online in a virtual format. And so I'd love um, for one of the ideas to be to have a veterans table that is there. And so folks can come in who are entrepreneurs and have ideas and have an opportunity and a place for for folks to chat. So I would say from from my standpoint, I'm committed um, to making sure we have a place for people to connect. And we should certainly have a veteran table in that space where veterans are able to leverage um the broader entrepreneurial community
2: that would be amazing carlo who are the right people that we need to pull in <laughs> to be at that yeah
0: table? yeah most definitely i mean um the obvious uh, folks at the chamber of commerce uh bunker labs if you haven't heard of them uh they are veteran specific and actually a, a you know veteran uh, spouse uh organization and uh, they support uh startups uh, and also uh, those organizations who've already uh, started um, specific to uh, uh, veterans. And uh, they're just not here. They're not just here in the in Philadelphia area. But actually through the entire U.S. Uh, they have a good uh, deep network. Uh, I think a few hundred different uh, uh, chapters throughout the U.S. Uh, so it's, it's a good way to get plugged in and uh, also uh, reach out to folks in other cities and see what they're doing as well.
2: That would be amazing. So we want to thank everybody for joining us today. Jeff, Carlo, thank you. Tracy, you're amazing. we have to make you a part of the show. And, and we also want to shout out our sisters from Black Girl Ventures. We're doing what we can to support Black women founders here in the Philadelphia area. On May 19th, we invite everyone to harness the power of the one-minute pitch. This is going to be powered by Google for startups. We'll make sure that information is available to you. You can always check out blackgirlventures.org. Uh, thank you to uh, everyone who helped make this possible. Uh, thank you for the partnership with Venture Cafe. From the city of brotherly love and sisterly affections, we want to invite you to join us next month, where we will look at Reservoir. Uh, follow us on social media at um, at Mom Your Business at and Teachers and. Thank you so much for listening to Impact, the podcast
1: brought to you by the universe and powered by the venture effect. To learn more about the economy, you can visit economy.org. And to learn more about the veterans' administration and the work that they do, you can visit phlveterans.com. So once again, on behalf of Nefertilia really and myself, I want to thank you for tuning in to Impact the Podcast. Listen. Like you, there's no look a I need a spice girl. Ziggin ziggin, I forgot my whole world. Pause when she talked, nothing like old girl.
2: Scary and sporty. Tell
1: her